This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello and welcome to the Goad Kicker Podcast. I am your host, Carl D. Smith. Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Goad Kicker Podcast. I am at my usual recording place. The woman is on the swing, swinging away. Such an odd deal. I should probably interview her for the show if I had any sort of journalistic leanings. I have the windows in the Kia down, as you can hear, as the rattly uh, Council Bluffs uh, Parks and Rec truck drives by. I'm also using my brand new phone, which is a Google Pixel 3a. I've finally cut the cord with Apple products. Um, I intended to leave Sprint entirely for uh, Google's new cellular service called Google Fi. A friend of mine is uh, is using it currently and having some pretty good success with it, which makes me want to leave Sprint even more. We'll have to wait and see. I'll probably give Sprint a couple months. They they got us onto a cheaper plan with the same coverage, and um, quite frankly, it's a hassle <laughs> to to leave because uh, then I'm going to be on the phone with them as they counter sell me for another hour. So um, I'll wait until I'm angry with them again and maybe jump ship permanently. It'll be an easier decision once Stadia is out because I'm going to be kind of brand loyal drunk at that time with Stadia available and my Google phone, hopefully that I can keep with and uh, transfer to. Uh, Sprint may make me uh, surrender it, uh, depending on when I quit their service, but there is a new Google Pixel 4 coming out soon. They have remarkable cameras. They have a great screen. I really don't see the downside to buying the A model. Uh, It's supposed to be the cheaper version. So in between every release, there's a Pixel 2, then a Pixel 2a, a 3, and then a 3a. There's also an XL model, which is a larger screen, which this one's already tremendously larger than my iPhone screen was. And um, I, I had a small iPhone SE, which used to be you know, the standard smartphone size, and now seems like it's microscopic. So maybe if Sprint makes me surrender this, I'll be able to grab one of the newer models. I'm hoping the audio quality on this sounds as good as it did with the iPhone. I didn't really do myself a fair turn here by recording this first segment with the windows down. But it's a nice day. But I will roll them up as I get into the meat of the episode here. So without further ado, let's take a quick break and I'll get in recording mode. So a little housekeeping up front, because I need to remind myself to actually promote my writing and and so on to the the people that I have access to, that always be selling routine that I hear is so important. But we started something new over on Facebook. I don't know how many of you use Facebook, 
<clears throat> I assume everybody has an account, but that they may not ever access it or what have you. If you don't have an account, you might throw one together, just make it private. You don't have to make any friends on there necessarily. But if you want to be a part of uh, our new project, um, head over there, and uh, we have a book club, uh, a digital book club, myself and Tim Benson of Omaha Bound. Um, uh, always kicking around ideas for projects. We have more project ideas than we have time and energy and resource. But uh, there, there's these projects that just kind of simmer, uh, and every once in a while you throw something in the pot and it boils over. And, and that's sort of what happened here. We started a book club online. Um, I finally bought a copy of Salem's Lot, uh, a good friend and uh, my partner with uh, Blackhawk, uh, David Brown, uh, and I had previously spoke about perhaps uh, reading it at the same time because it was on our to-read list together. And uh, so it, it makes sense to just throw a, a book club up there, a little chatter. We're, we're posting chunks, uh, and the discussions are to follow in the comments. The first book was Salem's Lot by Stephen King. We started yesterday. The first post covers the prologue and chapters 1 and 2. And then uh, because those of us who kind of hit the ground running um, already had a bit of a head start, I did go ahead and add a second post for chapters 3 and 4. Uh, but we'll try not to add them too frequently. We'll try to let the uh, conversation simmer. Uh, we'll eventually get the timing uh, dialed in um, so that folks aren't reading so far ahead they forget what they want to discuss. But uh, but I wanted to give people who were signing up as, uh, as we notified people that it was a thing that we were doing uh, a chance to get their copies, to get their books, and to get started. Luckily, Stephen King reads pretty fast. Um, he's he's a readable writer. And Salem's Lot is a book that I have not a lot of uh, foreknowledge of, so I'm pretty excited to read it. It's one that's always been on my list. Um, so if you like Stephen King and uh, you like book clubs or you just want to kind of chit-chat and see what people are saying about the writer and about the writing process and uh, the books in general, I would encourage you to join our group. Um, it's just called Digital Book Club, sponsored by Lake Lord Publishing and Omaha Bound. If you befriend me on uh, Facebook, I will send you a link, or you can ask me to search you up and send you the invite. I'm more than happy to do that. Um, the one uh, warning I will give you is I have multiple Facebook accounts, uh, most of which, actually all of which but one, I don't use. Um, I have two that I can't delete because I have pictures saved on there I want access to. <laughs> and uh, and I have a couple others that uh, I've forgotten the password and the emails I've used to get in there and so on. Uh, I've just kind of hit the wall with my effort at trying to recover this the, the accounts, so I abandoned them. And just started a new one. And so the new one, again, is imaginatively titled Carl Smith. Um, It's at an email address I don't use. I created an email address, more or less, just to set up the Facebook page. And we'll go from there. But uh, So it could be hard to track me down. Uh, If you see multiple Carl Smiths, the one with the Bears hat on is the most current and active Carl Smith. 
Someday I'll have the Council of Carls and we'll judge and uh, guide the events of the universe together as one unified body of like-minded Carls. But until then, maybe just befriend one of us. At the core of nerddom, uh, this group that we all run in and and sort of... uh, Whereas our, our our tribal flag uh, on a general level, the nation that we're a part of, uh, there tends to be like this undercurrent current of rebellion. Um, I don't know if that's true in every subculture. If we all just have chips on our shoulders and are just waiting for something to uh, to butt up against, but uh, nerds in general are are semi rebellious. They don't always buy into. Uh, popular thought, popular tastes. They're very opinionated when it comes to sexual or financial or uh, social politics. They're often motivated by a diverse but very specific and strongly felt uh, set of, uh, of internal imperatives. I don't know how to say all this without angering somebody, I guess, because I don't want to diminish someone's someone's pulpit, someone's soapbox, but um, it, that's a part of the reason Twitter, uh, comics Twitter, sort of ceased to be fun is because everybody sort of has these miniature axes to grind. And sometimes, you know, while it's, um, while it's valid, while there's a, a real concern, it's a response to something that's happening in the media, it just snowballs and the pitch is putting the needle into the red constantly. So much so that a guy like myself that just makes comments flippantly every once in a while or likes to play a little devil's advocate um, soon becomes a little bit of a lightning rod. And, uh, and you can imagine what happens when someone is actually out there actively trying to troll people or actually has some sort of unpopular or hateful uh, opinion to share. Um, and it, it riles the people up and it gets noisy. Because, again, a lot of us are social outcasts. A lot of us uh, have our backs against some sort of wall or another on top of the usual human being stuff, a lot of us have different uh, psychological and emotional uh, issues that we continue to work through throughout our lives. Things that sort of define us, but also maybe limit us. Things that sort of create these knee-jerk reactions. But you don't see a lot of goody two-shoes. Let's everybody just be friends. Let's walk down the middle of the road sort of attitudes in the nerd culture. It just doesn't seem to be present. A lot has been made, and it's hard to filter through how much of it is heightened by some of the narrative that's going on at the moment um, publicly. But, uh, you know, there's good hard fact and and evidence to, to the fact that a lot of Marvel Comics, for instance, had its uh, its feet grounded on the early days, the post uh, Fantastic Four days, and maybe even prior, actually. But they were built upon this notion of kicking back against social injustices. 
These were stories about outcasts and became stories for outcasts. Nerds, people down on their luck, people who uh, weren't accepted by society. And they fought against fascists, against terrorists. They fought against hate. So all these little uh, messages sort of train card attached themselves to the stories that we all read. Um, Not always in your face, but always there in spirit. That we should accept one another regardless of sexual, religious, political, blah, blah, blah. Although anymore people tend to leave that political out of there. They're more likely to uh, accept somebody uh, with an intolerant or oppositional religious belief than they are with someone with that same um, political belief. Politics has gotten that poisonous. But comic books have always sort of had this rebellious, outcast appeal to start with. (coughs) When you get into other areas of nerddom, when you look at these books now... People like Andre Norton and uh, Larry Niven. These people wrote a lot of books and sold a lot of books. So it wasn't like science fiction was super fringe. But when you compare it to the more wide experience, the people who are really devoted to science fiction, fantasy, horror Broadballs, And so even in those circles, you see a lot of um, a lot of nerdery, a lot of rebellious, outcast nerds. Because it simply wasn't normal to enjoy or talk about horror elements. I would argue probably not until Stephen King uh, became um, a celebrity, basically, um, with his prolific writing, his Hollywood adaptations, and uh, just his his persona sort of gaining popularity that sort of normalized reading uh, books with these horrific ideas presented in them. That prior to that, that horror was sort of relegated to teenagers, to drive-in movies, to matinees, to uh, the sort of thing that... Um, strange monster kids just kind of read in the back of uh, pulpy magazines. A lot of the genres, uh, science fiction, horror, those sort of things, are sort of looked upon as invalid genres or invalid um, mediums for storytelling. And they still kind of hold that stigma a little bit. Again, when it comes to fantasy, I think the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones most recently have normalized fantasy literature. Just like Fifty Shades of Grey normalized kink and uh, uh, and uh, Twilight sort of normalized 
supernatural romance. There's all these touchstones, these different things in these genres that sort of allow uh, credence to, to a genre where people can kind of out themselves as fans. But the true hardcore genre appreciation tribe will always be a bunch of misfits. So it's never surprising to me when those misfits either A, struggle to communicate in a normal social setting in a way that is like, uh, I don't want to use the word normal, but uh, expected in that particular setting. And B, I'm not always surprised that people from these nerdy groups aren't rule followers as a rule. That is to say, they don't always maybe follow the law, whether the law is, you know, religious uh, standards of a community or, uh, or the actual law pertaining certain activities. But what's always bothered me in these subgroups, these nerd groups, is how acceptable and understood that it is that substance abuse is this part of the show. I've had someone argue with me before that when I've made this comment, that that's just part of being adult, that being an adult is substance abuse, that's why it comes up, it isn't a nerd thing, it isn't this or that. You're talking to adults, and this is what adults do. And you know, my experience growing up was exactly that. My father was an alcoholic. He drank quite a bit. Friday nights when they got off of work, I knew my dad would rarely come home unless people were coming over because they wouldn't come straight home from work on Fridays. They would meet at one bar or another and stay there pretty late into the night. A lot of our family outings uh, centered around either meeting out at my uncle's farm where families and friends gathered for cookouts and, and uh, heavy drinking or us tagging along with dad to different events to do the same. Spent a lot of time at a bowling alley and I never once saw my dad bowl. Because other people were on the bowling league and we all gathered. The adults drank beer and talked, smoked. And we ran around just bumming quarters. Matter of fact, the hunting trips I went on with my father, a lot of times they did hunt. But the real appeal of the trip was all the guys got out of town or got out of, uh, yeah, got out of town to head back down to the Bedford area. They've been drinking carouse down there. I didn't have very many Transformer toys as a kid. Um, I can probably count on one hand the ones that I had that um, that I had that were brand new, that were mine, that weren't things that I later picked up or or uh, just sort of inherited from garage sales or or friends that had outgrown toys or what have you. Um, of them, I didn't have any of the big vehicles. They were all the little mini guys, the cliff jumper, I think. Is that one of them? Uh, and Bumblebee and Warpath. 
And I also had Laserbeak in... I don't remember which of the other cassette tapes came with him in sort of the little two-pack uh, blister card. I got those in Bedford, Iowa at a little five-and-dine store there called, I think, Places or Peoples. I can't remember which. But the reason I got that is because my dad and his brother and their friends, we were there on a hunting trip, and they were uh, drinking up a storm at this uh, bar down there called Bats, Bats Candy Kitchen. And there was nothing to do. There wasn't even a TV except for this enormous shuffle ball table or shuffle board, I guess, not shuffle ball, shuffle board. And so I asked my dad if I could wander around town, and of course the answer was yes. So there was little old me just wandering around. So I went next door. This this Five and Dime was still open, and they had... It was like a time capsule going in there. You never knew what was going to be in there for toys. And that's always the first thing I would look at. And my dad gave me some money, and he gave me enough that I was able to buy that two-pack of the Transformers. And I sat in the corner of the bar and played with those throughout the night. So that really was my experience with adults. They just drank. That's what adults did. They worked, they drank, and then they spent the rest of the time home yelling at kids because they were too noisy or didn't pick up their garbage. But I think I've learned good enough that uh, that isn't really how adults work. That isn't how we're supposed to work. So I don't buy that argument. There's also an element... Uh, where people don't like to be judged for their activities. And I would agree with that. I think that you got to be careful at where your opinion on something ends and where you know, you know you become judgmental. But there is an element of pride that enters in people's declarations of their substance abuse, which is really worrisome to me. I can't tell you how many times when people have to mention, they have to brag about how sick they were or how much they drank or make some silly comment about, like, I'm lucky I can walk today after last night when literally no one asks. A friend of mine who may or may not listen to this show uh, mentioned that at a recent Comic-Con, they got together, as they always do, kind of out for a night out after the con closes with some of the talent and friends hanging out. And, of course, alcohol is going to be involved because that's usually what happens with these receptions. And people like to drink. I mean, at the end of the day, people like alcohol. But he was telling me the story how one of the people along with the group um, doesn't drink. And how this person was sort of sequestered a little bit from the rest of the crowd because they didn't drink. And so it was a little bit awkward. And the story wasn't told to me like to shame the, the, the person involved or, or anything. It was just a matter of fact, you know, just like here's who all was there and this came up. And, and I think about how awkward it is to be the non-drinker in these situations it's such a upside down 
from what's normal for me. I'm not a teetotaler. I I will drink alcoholic beverages. I like tiki drinks. I'll make some at home every once in a while, but I never have beer. I never order beer. I never order alcohol when I'm out with my family or even by myself. Unless it's a special occasion and I've actually stepped into a tiki bar with that intention to have some rum or to have a, a daiquiri or something. Matter of fact, I think the only time that I've had beer in the last, I want to say 10, maybe even 20 years. Nah, that's probably going too far back. At least in the last 10 years. The only time that I've even had beer is at concerts. And usually because my brother, who can't turn a drink down, at least he used to not be able to. But always comes smiling with a handful of beers and hand me one, so it sort of starts the cycle of, of buying rounds. But when I'm at the wheel, both metaphorically and literally, I, I don't drink. Quite frankly, soda overindulgence is sort of my, my bag. <laughs> And so I was always more than happy just to grab a Coke. But now today you sort of see this with with the jokes about using acid and hallucinogens. Um, Way more so you start to see uh, the commentary about uh, smoking pot. Um, I've had two conversations in the last two weeks when someone was telling me a story that had nothing to do with substance abuse or, or, uh, or substance use. And it was telling me a story just about something that happened the day prior. This wasn't one of the stories, but I'll just give you an example of what I mean. Oh, you play Ticket to Ride? Yeah, my sons like board games. They and their friends were over last night, you know. They like to just hang out and do board games sometimes. You know, they'll go out on my deck and and smoke and come in and take their turns. It's kind of fun. They let me play with them last time, which was pretty cool. You know, when they go out on that boat, sometimes they they smoke a little weed. Anyway, Ticket to Ride was pretty fun, yada, yada, yada. They had to throw in there that there was weed use, marijuana use, and that they were, you know, implying that they were cool with it. Another friend of mine mentioned, kind of in a similar story that involved them stepping out of the house for a moment while something else was going on in the house really didn't lend itself to the discussion but they made sure that they mentioned that you know while they were out of the house they smoked a little weed I had a mother recently tell me about how good her kid is And how sometimes teenage boys are just a little rambunctious and you have to kind of hold on loosely. And then proceeded to kind of go through the list of things that her teenage son does that drives her crazy. But at the end of the day, aren't that big of a deal. Like, never does his own laundry, leaves sweaty, stinky clothes on the floor. Will absolutely ruin clothes that they had just purchased because he's not 
uh, interested in going in and changing into something before they get into some dirty business of one type or another. Sometimes he misses curfew, plays music a little too loud. And, of course, she's caught him with weed, you know, a couple times. So this normal kid stuff. Again, when it comes to marijuana, you know, I am not... Uh, I'm not someone who would use marijuana products if they were available. I just am not. I am irrevocably altered forever by Nancy Reagan and and just say no. But um, also I have a medical profession, and those sorts of things um, can jeopardize your licensure. Legal or no, according to the state. But I do think they should be legalized. I, I do think they should be available in a safe and um, predictable and, uh, you know, a manageable way. I would like to see some FDA control. And the biggest upside to me to legalizing marijuana is we can finally get over the stigma of it as a substance and get some good hard data biologically, chemically, medically of what it's useful for and what it isn't. But instead you have this like shroud of mystery still of what exactly it does, what exactly it doesn't. If it's a good trade-off to opioids for pain control. And it becomes like the CBD oil, CBD gummy thing where it's been recommended for literally everything. And you can't really sift through the data to figure out if it's just more coconut milk or essential oil nonsense or if there's something to it. But the one thing I do know is that I get very tired of people sort of slyly letting slip their vices as if that's a part of the nerd life that sort of helps gain your rebellious cred. It gets very discouraging. And in many cases, it's damaging because there's those of us out there who do struggle with different vices, with different addictions. And I don't think it's helpful Because legal or not, I mean, alcohol is perfectly legal. But legal or not, these are controlled substances for a reason. Because they alter your personality, they alter your decision making, they alter your behavior. I do not like being around drunks. And I do not like being around drunk strangers. It's very irritating. And the last thing I want is someone that I'm just a, uh, an acquaintance with sort of unsolicited revealing to me the extent of their binge drinking in some hotel room after the Comic-Con. I just don't care. It's an immature and frankly kind of a concerning behavior. And I see it all the time amongst nerds. If you listen to enough podcasts or are friends with enough people online, you see these sorts of things constantly. I would put binge, binge spending and binge eating up there, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. 
But we have these self-destructive behaviors that we can't help but reveal to other people. But not as a cry for help, but as a cry for normalization, I think. And for the credibility. I think a lot of us are in a state of arrested development. Otherwise, we wouldn't read Batman comic books at 45 years old. Because regardless of what you think about the medium, those Batman comics are not moving forward. The endeavor of human literature in any significant way. And you can cut and paste and post and screenshot that picture of Superman talking that uh, suicidal little girl out of jumping off the building as many times as you want. But let's be honest, the bulk of Superman writing, the bulk of Superman comics, is completely and utterly forgettable in the ocean of written material. So for us to be that enthusiastic and captivated by this stuff already says a little bit, I think, about our emotional development. There are better books out there with pictures. There are several graphic novels that have way more challenging concepts and, um, and uh, you know, uh, conversation and topicality uh, that that are a lot more relevant to life as a human being and life as an adult human being. They're challenging. They're inspirational. But Batman and Superman aren't it. Captain America is not it. And if you continue to read into it and make it that important to yourself, I think it's very telling. So I think a lot of us are sort of clinging to this little immature nugget in our brain that includes the fact that we have to sort of bolster our credibility amongst one another with how hardcore we are <laughs> in our spending, in our substance abuse, whatever. And again, there's this notion that adults, when they gather, involve alcohol. And definitely TV and commercials and all that other nonsense doesn't doesn't not uh, bolster that notion. I think about sports and, and, and the fandom around sports. And, you know, it's sort of funny. Um, nerds, as a rule, aren't real involved in sports. Uh, matter of fact, it gets real irritating whenever you get excited about a sporting event and someone has to say, oh, what is this sports ball you talk of? Ha 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 ha. You know, playing the role of, like, the the nerdy dunce diminishing the role of athletic uh, entertainment because that's something that normal people are into that's something the squares are into as if logging on and playing Destiny or Fortnite is, is any better or Star Trek Online or World of Warcraft or meeting up to play magic cards and having separate decks for both uh, you know your league night and then your casual night It's just a weird look. It's a weird attitude. But I think about sports a lot because it is a nerdy uh, pastime in itself uh, with its own subculture and all that. Uh, people who are irrationally dedicated to something that ultimately doesn't affect your daily life. 
and how often the enjoyment and the industry of that uh, revolves around substance abuse or uh, self-destructive behavior such as um, inappropriate spending, uh, gambling. And I wonder if these things are ever really that enjoyable at all for people of our age in our responsibility levels. If those high-risk behaviors or self-destructive behaviors or whatever you want to call them, these vices, weren't a part of it. There's really no good answer. I mean, short of someone coming down hard and saying, look, I just don't want people to tell me about their drinking because I don't want to hear about it. And then you sort of get the image of, uh, of being a stick in the mud. Or worse yet, you have to kind of apologize for your own lack of substance use. You say things like, oh, that's totally cool. I mean, you do what you want to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm not here to limit your joy. I just don't. I just don't smoke, and I don't want you to smoke around me because the last thing I need is the is the pop positive. And you have to sort of make that self-sequestering comment that basically don't invite me if there's going to be marijuana involved or or don't talk to me about this or that. And people will pretty openly, uh, which I think is pretty problematic, um, tell stories about uh, some of the harder drug use or some of the uh, more binge drinking episodes. And it starts to involve things like stories they're not proud of, as they'll tell you, but they sound quite proud of them, of things they've done or things they do or how high they were in public or how drunk they were and drove home with one headlight from Lincoln to Omaha at 2 in the morning. And I'm not even bringing up the sorts of people who talk the same way about their sexual exploits. I just wonder why it's so common and why it needs to be so common in the nerd culture to, to voluntary offer, voluntarily offer up the depth and the frequency of your indulgence and vice. It's almost as if we are a group primarily made of people who are broken and are seeking, uh, seeking to fill gaps in our life with a myriad of external items until we find something that kind of satisfies that receptor long enough for us to get through to the next day. We are self-medicating. Some of us are able to get by by looking at old uh, Lone Wolf and Cub comic books. That seems to fit the gap. Some of us do that, but also need a good IPA beer to obsess about. Maybe a joint. Maybe an edible. 
Other people like extreme movies. Some people only like extreme movies if they're on mind-altering substances. We're all sort of seeking, I think, to find something just to kind of take the edge off of life. And I can't discount that and I can't poo-poo that because I think we all do it. Some of us are just fortunate enough to find something that does take that edge off, even if temporarily that isn't uh, destructive in some way. But the last thing in the world I want to do is hear about it. In a social setting, unsolicited, and apropos of nothing. So what are your experiences with this? I'm not asking you to tell me about how drunk you got after a Comic-Con, but what uh, what experience have you had with this? How often do you see in these social settings that alcohol needs to be involved? Is it possible for grown adults to get together without there being alcohol? If there is alcohol, is it possible just to enjoy it on a minimal basis and have it not be the star of the show or the lubricant? to get people to uh, confer with one another. Just stop and think about that. How often do people feel the need to mention to you the things they're up to in private? And what do you think that says about us as human beings or as, as nerds in our tribe or whatever group, however narrow you want to make it? I find it exhausting myself And more often than not, it's disappointing. It's someone I otherwise like, and I'm like, ooh, I wish you wouldn't have said that to me. Again, not always so much for the action itself, but for the need to just offer it up. As if it's something that would be proud, or noteworthy, or commendable. So what do you think? Am I an old man screaming into the void here? Am I a little too purani- uh, puritanical for uh, for my own nerddom? I have a feeling this won't be real popular because I know the amount of alcohol consumption with many of you who listen to this show. Again, it's a free country. You can do what you want. But have you ever caught yourself being uh, compelled to bring it up socially or to laugh it off when it otherwise wasn't laughable or a topic of discussion? Just meditate on that. I guess that's what I would ask. Meditate on that. I still want to have a CarlCon. My goal, it's not going to happen this year as planned. I couldn't find a venue that met all my requirements, so I'm back to the drawing board to rethink the components of this thing. But when I do, it's going to be an alcohol-free event. What people do after they leave the grounds, I could care less. But part of the reason I intended to do that is the same reason I wanted my wedding reception to be alcohol-free. Because I believe it's possible to gather together without that crutch, without that social component. 
And for those who are out there struggling with the constant presence and reminder of something that once took them to the brink and they had to use a a tremendous amount of energy and a force of will to fight their abuse of those substances, it's really not fair. It's really not fair to just assume that when people get married that it's going to be basically a kegger by the end of the night. I had exactly zero sips of alcohol on my wedding day. My wife and I are still married. We did just fine. A lot of our friends that were at the wedding we're still friends with. We did just fine. It just wasn't necessary. So what's your take on this? You can send me a note over at CarlSmithWriter on Twitter or email CarlSmithWriter at gmail.com. And let's chat about nerd vices a little bit. Well, that wraps it up for this episode, the first recorded on the Google phone. Battery held up pretty good. I'm pretty proud of this little guy. This will probably go down as not one of the more popular episodes, and I understand that. Not quite a nerd church and definitely not one of my better dives into something people is actually interested in but it's something that's been kind of grinding at me lately so i do appreciate you entertaining me if you've made it this far by the way i think this episode is going to be right around 45 50 minutes and that woman is still on the swing just pumping away such a bizarre strange occurrence again there's got to be a story there To me, it's almost more interesting not to find out the story, though, just to kind of fill in the blanks depending on wherever my mind wanders that day. For me to go over and ask her what her deal is might be pretty disappointing. She might just be a weirdo, or she might have some sort of uh, you know, learning disability, or she could just be a manic pixie dream girl for somebody. I don't know. I don't know what would motivate, but I think the answer would be very disappointing. She has a nice-ish SUV. I mean, it's a late-model SUV, but it's in good shape. So she drives herself here. So she must have some responsibilities outside of showing up at the park and swinging. But for as bummed out as I get with myself sometimes about how much time I I spend on these projects, like Goad Kicker, uh, like trying to maintain my Patreon and and, and Lake... yeah, LakeLordPublishing.com or LakeLord.com, I should say. Home of Lake Lord Publishing. LakeLord.com, you guys. Click it. Go there. Read the blogs. Anyway, I get bummed out sometimes at the amount of time I pour onto this for what it actually pays me back. But to think that there's this woman who can just take an hour and a half, two hours out of her day, several times a week to just come swing at Roberts Park, it's sort of interesting. And as I finish up, a car full of tweakers just pulled up. (laughs) So it's a good time as any to get out of here, speaking of substance abuse. So until next time, everybody, this is your judgmental, teetotaling, no fun having goat kicker.
Take it easy.